done, well done, well done, everyone. I want to say a special thank you to all the mums that are serving this morning. Yes, you can clap. They didn't stay home and have breakfast in bed. They got up, they put on their church clothes, and they came and they served the house. And I think that's amazing. So well done. Well done, well done. I want to say happy Mother's Day public to my mum. You know when you're a kid and you say happy Mother's Day, (laughs) you don't really understand what you're saying, happy Mother's Day, but then when you become a mum, you go, oh, you realise why there is such thing as Mother's Day and yeah, it has more weight, doesn't it? Thank you, mum, has more weight. So yeah, that's good. Are you good this morning? I fear this morning is going to be a little bit emotional. Um, a little bit raw. I'm laying it all on the table this morning. I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. God, you're so good. I thank you, Father, that you are here with us. Father, I, I thank you that you can speak to every heart this morning, regardless if they're a mother, regardless if they're a woman, Lord. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would go to that deep place in every heart, Lord God. That, Father, we'd ask questions and we'd seek you for the answers this morning. Father, I pray that um, what you want to say, Lord God, to every life will be heard loud and clear, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for mums. And, Father, in particular this morning, I pray for those kids anywhere that don't have a mum. Kids anywhere, Lord, that don't know who their mum is or are estranged from their mum, Lord, today. Father, I, I wish I could change that, Father. But I know that you can, Lord God, you can mend hearts, you can heal hearts. So Jesus, I just pray for those kids this morning on Mother's Day morning. Amen. Amen. So I had a dream (laughs) and for real about three weeks ago and I dreamt of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know that story in the Bible in John 11? And I woke up and I thought to myself, oh, I best read that, God. You must be saying something to me. And I read it and God spoke to me. He encouraged me. And I felt that I really this morning have nothing to say if not a message from God. And so instead of adhering to a man-made holiday such as Mother's Day, I thought I'd just tell you what he's been telling me. Is that good? So we're going to read from John 11. We're going to read all 44 verses, but we're going to get through this. It's the story of Lazarus, how Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Here we go. John 11, verse 1 to 3. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the, on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So we can see from the start here that Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. They loved each other. This is the Mary that later washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. This is a friendship that is more like family. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, 
Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So he's saying here that this sickness was a setup for God's glory. Verse 5 to 6. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. The first thing I pick up here is that Jesus was not moved by the circumstance. He was led by the Spirit. I don't know about you, but if I got word that somebody that I loved was very sick and I could do something about it, would you not rush to their side? Of course you would. That's where I would be there. But Jesus, in this instant, although he probably wanted to go to them, he didn't. Because he's being led by the Spirit, not led by his circumstances. Sometimes things happen in our lives where it's like a ball from left field. Unexpected things. It's important for us to maintain spirit-led in these seasons. Not to be rattled by them but to process it with the Spirit and act accordingly to how he's leading us. It's, it's harder than what um, it's said, isn't it? It's, it's harder to do than to just say it. But as believers, we have to take our cue from Jesus and remember that he led a, he led a Spirit-led life, that he wasn't moved by circumstances, by chatter, by words, by gossip, by people pulling on him. He was moved by the Spirit of God. And I love that. <laughs> Another thing I noticed here is that he was leaving a gap of two days for one purpose. And that was he wanted to create a God gap. He wanted to create room for a miracle. He wanted to create time uh, where there would have to be a stretch of faith. Have you ever prayed that prayer, God, use me, God, send me, God, I want, want your life, I, I want my life to bring you great glory. Really what you're saying when you're praying that prayer is, Jesus, stay away for two more days. Jesus created a God gap. I don't know about you, but when I've prayed that prayer before, God, I really want my life to bring you great glory. I hadn't thought of the God gap before. But God needs a God gap in order to fill it. And here we have Jesus straight away knowing that this would not end in death, that this was about the glory of God, that this was about creating a God gap so something great could happen. Verse 7 to 10. Finally, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, this is a funny reply, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. What is he saying? 
the disciples are going, don't go there, they're going to stone you again. And his reply is, you don't walk around in darkness. What Jesus is saying in this, in this reply is this, you walk according to the light and so do I. He's saying that the circumstances are irrelevant, I must obey God. How inspiring is that? That is so inspiring. I don't care about the circumstances. I don't care what happened before. I don't care um, if what you say actually happens. He knew that it wasn't going to happen because his time hadn't come. But still he was saying, I don't care about the circumstances. I walk according to the light, meaning the leading of the Spirit. And I know that two days ago, it wasn't time to move. But now today, today's the day. we got to get moving. we got to go to Judea. Verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. So the servant that was sent by Mary and Martha did not say that Lazarus was asleep. He just said that Lazarus was sick. Jesus knew that Lazarus had already died. We can see here that Jesus had insight. He didn't say, we've got to go because Lazarus is sick. He said, we've got to go because Lazarus is asleep, meaning Lazarus has already died. He knew already what had happened. He had insight. And from this, I see Jesus teaches me that insight brings confidence and calm. When you have insight from from God, the Holy Spirit, it brings confidence and calm. To be real honest with you, church, this is is something I have to work on. We can be confident and we can be calm. We don't have to be rattled. We don't have to be moved if we have the insight from God. And this is what Jesus had He already knew that he had died, but he was confident and calm because he had insight. Our confidence and our calm is a light to the world. We only get true confidence and peace from his presence. That's one thing that when the world looks at us, that can be a great witness and testimony to our relationship with Jesus is our confidence and our calm. Lottie is really good at this. He's really good at calm. I'm not so good at calm. But I want to become better at calm as I listen to God and as his insight (laughs) is made known to me. Verse 12 to 15. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping... (laughs) he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will receive, you will really believe. Come, let's go and see him. Jesus was glad that Lazarus had died. Remember, Lazarus was his friend. Lazarus was someone he loved. And here he's saying, I'm glad that that Lazarus had died 
because it will bring you strength, disciples. It will make your faith stronger, disciples. Man, doesn't this guy blow you away? Doesn't Jesus absolutely knock your socks off when you see him respond like this? I'm glad my friend died because it will strengthen your faith. I don't think I will ever say that. But he did because he knew that it was all about faith. That faith was the richest, most valuable thing in our lives. Could it be that Jesus was glad, is glad that when we go through trials because it digs a deeper, richer faith in us? When, when hard things happen, it may feel like our faith has been taken, but really our faith is being tested. Have you been in that place where you feel like you have no faith at all? Something happened or something didn't happen? And you feel like you're in, you have, having a faith crisis. It's not that your faith is being taken, it's that your faith is being tested. Verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. <laughs> Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Here we see the slowness to which Thomas believed, the readiness he was to doubt without full evidence. I was thinking Thomas is a bit of an oxymoron. He's a believer, he's a discipler, but he's full of doubt. Isn't that what makes you a follower of Jesus, that you believe, that you believe in him? And we see in the life of Thomas that you can follow God around, Jesus around, and still have doubt. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him, probably gets really frustrated with him. But we do see that there is room for doubt sometimes. That it's okay to have doubt sometimes. That doubts are important in our lives sometimes. Sometimes when we get hard knocks, this can be our perspective. But are you too quick to doubt? Are you too quick to doubt? Is it like blah, 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 doubt, just like that, like a switch straight away, no, nope, I doubt. How quick are you to doubt? Every now and then we have to test whether we are too quick to doubt. Verse 17 to 21, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. I love this bit. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to him, or she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. But, love that little word right there. But, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So what she's saying is, Lord, I'm really discouraged. 
I feel really let down. But you know what? You're here now and I know that nothing is impossible for you. We see she still have faith, even though that the circumstances was dire straits really, wasn't it? When you stop running to God, stop praying, it's a good indication that we believe that, we, that he cannot change the situation. She ran to him because she still believed that he could change the situation. Have you stopped praying, church? Have you stopped running to him? Have you stopped believing in him? It's a good indication that you don't think he can change the circumstances or that you don't think he can make good of the circumstances. Posture tells you a lot about your life, doesn't it? Your posture. And here we see Martha's posture was to run to Jesus, even though she was disappointed, even though she felt extremely let down. She ran to Jesus because she believed he still had the answer. She believed that he still was the answer. Verse 23 to 29, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here. He wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Mary's reaction is very different to Martha's. She goes quickly to Jesus. Verse 30, 32. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha had met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But you're here now and you can make good of this. Mary's didn't have a but on the end. Mary's was just, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She ran quickly out to confront Jesus, the light, but she was offended by the light. Jesus' response isn't, pipe down, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. It isn't, where is your faith? (laughs) How often do we do that when someone is processing, going through a hard time? Where is your faith? I hate it. Just be raw and honest. I hate it when people say that to me. When I'm going through a hard time, oh, where's your faith, Lozzie? I feel like punching him in the nose. <laughs> I honestly do because I'm processing. I'm mourning. I'm in a season of travail. It does not mean I have no faith. 
It means that I am in a season of sorrow. I'm working through something. Jesus doesn't tell her to shut up or go away or you're not faithful. He is deeply moved and has a troubled heart. What do we do with offended people? We should look after them. Sometimes we want to shut them down because their pain is awkward and ugly and embarrassing. But Jesus isn't shut Mary down. What does he do? He mourns with her. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger, here we go, love this, bit of authenticity, a deep anger whirled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, then Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He knew what was going to happen. <laughs> he knew that this was a setup for the glory of God. Why did he weep? Two reasons I think he wept. The first one is I believe that he was moved by compassion. This is a really sad, sad scenario, isn't it? He saw the mourners mourning around him and he was moved to mourn with him. As I was preparing this message, I really felt God press upon me that somebody here this morning needs to know that God sees, God hears and God cares. That he sees your tears and he cares. Nobody else sees and it feels like some, nobody else cares. But God sees and he knows and he cares. He cares about your midnight tears, your morning tears, your shower tears. We hide, don't we, when we cry. Because mourning is awkward and uncool. But Jesus sees and he knows. But the second reason why I believe Jesus cried was because I believe he knew the value of tears. We see in the Bible many times the Israelites, when they were going through a mourning period, they put on sackcloth and ashes. It was a public display of their sorrow. We see in the book of Esther, Mordecai, when he hears that Haman wants to get rid of his people, he walks out into the public square, he has sackcloth and ashes on and he wails. In our culture, we don't do that. When we're, when we're so full of sorrow, when we're going through a season of mourning, of travail, what do we do? We hide it. We close the doors, we shut the curtains, we bury our heads in the pillow. We don't want anyone to see our mourning. But I feel like the Israelites knew something that we, didn't, we don't. They knew the value of tears. They knew that tears and mourning wasn't just tears and mourning. 
that it actually was very significant. Could it be that the Jews knew that deep sorrow was a passageway to promise? They're in a time of mourning, of sorrow, of lament, of travail. And they cry and wail so freely and so openly. I believe that it's more than just emotion, but it's a change of heart. It's a prayer. It's a petition. The Bible actually says a lot about mourning. Isaiah 53, 11 says, After the suffering of his soul, it's talking about Jesus, so the emotional suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Isaiah 66, 8 can be summarized as this. When Zion travails, she shall bring forth. It's talking about birthing. There's pain, there's agony. How bad does it hurt? There's a season of severe pain and then the baby. And it's the same with the emotional things. There's a season of severe pain before the new thing, before the baby. Again, in Psalm 23, 4, 5, it says, Even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, sorry, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It starts off with walking through the death valley and it ends with anointing and an overflowing cup. We see that mourning, travail, times of pain and heartache, times of anguish are actually the prequel to the birth of something good. (laughs) Jesus, did he know that the weeping had to come before the rejoicing, that the pain comes before the birth, that the heartache brings forth promise? Is pain and sorrow an indicator that something is about to happen, just like the birth contractions tell us that the baby is on the way? Is sorrow a passageway for purpose? How much time do I have? Five minutes. Whoa. I was out the back having a cup of coffee with God, and I felt... Like I was in a pit. Has anyone ever felt like they were in a pit? I felt like I was in a pit. It's a dark place, a pit, isn't it? And I was sitting there going, God, I'm in a pit. I'm in a pit. I don't know how to get out of this pit. I don't know how to get up again. I don't know how to deal with this pain. I'm in a pit, God. I'm in a pit, God. What will I do? Just like that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Loz, you're not in a pit. You're in a tunnel. You're not in a pit. You're in a tunnel. See, pits and tunnels, they look similar, don't they? They're both dark places. They're places of the unseen. If I was to look out across the land and you're in a pit, I wouldn't be able to see you. Same if you're in a tunnel, I wouldn't be able to see you. A pit and a tunnel are both 
unseen places. They're normally small places, places where you feel contained. They're uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be in a pit or a tunnel. (laughs) It's uncomfortable there. But the main difference between a tunnel and a pit is that a tunnel leads somewhere. A tunnel leads somewhere. Travail, sorrow, pain is that tunnel. A pit is not God's style. But a tunnel is. We see in the story of Joseph, he's chucked into a pit, but Jesus very quickly, God very quickly transports him to a mode of transport, doesn't he? He puts him on a camel so he can travel into Egypt, is it? Even though he's looks like he's gone backwards. This is not the plan. Guess what? He's really journeying towards the purpose. God takes him out of a pit and puts him into a tunnel and it's the same with you. The devil is a liar. He will tell you that it is a pit, that you're stuck, that you're trapped, that you're done for, but it's not. It's a tunnel. In a tunnel, there is not much light and there is not much air. Light being the word of God and air being the presence. You feel like your supply has been cut off. You read the word of God, but it's hard to see. You pray, but you feel like you're unheard. But guess what? Even though it feels like that, you are going somewhere. There's this Coldplay quote. It's the very same steeple people want to choose. They just see it from different views. It's the very same steeple, the church, people want to choose. They just see it from different views. And you can transport that into pain. It's the very same pain. But is it a pit or is it a tunnel? What view do you see it from? You know, with pain and hardships, there's two responses. The pit response or the tunnel response. The pit response is this. Resist it and let it bind your hands and feet. Or number two, the tunnel. Press through it and let it change you. See, that's the purpose of pain, to change you. Let it change you. Let it change you. When you emerge from the tunnel, what happens? When you come out of a dark season, what happens? And you step into the light. When you come up from underground and you look at the light, what happens? Is it all beautiful? The light is offensive, is it not? The light stings your eyes. And sometimes we come out of that dark place, we journey to the end of the tunnel, we emerge up again and the light is offensive Because of where we've been. Example, God is faithful. That hurts. That stings because we've been in the tunnel. All things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. How hard is that to hear when you've just been through a hard time? You don't want to say that verse... That's the last thing that's on your mind. 
But you've got to know that the light is offensive when you emerge from the tunnel. Sometimes you want to sneak back into the tunnel because it's actually not as hard there. But keep on journeying forward, allowing the light to do its work within you, allowing the light to offend you, allowing the light to purge the good thing in you. Press into the sting and let your eyes adjust and your heart adjust because after there'll be rejoicing. Let's just finish 3639. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, The man healed a blind man. <sighs> Couldn't he have kept Lazarus alive? Those people will not be my friends. This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? <sighs> Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone away, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man, sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. If you want to raise the dead, you first have to smell the dead. You first have to see the dead. You first have to touch the dead. To, to get the miracle, sometimes you have to go through a season of discomfort. There's a saying in writing that says, if you want to, if you can, you've got to stand being bad before you can become any good. You've got to, you've got to stand those day after day after day after day after day of writing really rubbish things and standing it before you'll get any good. You've got to stand the smell of the dead, the sight of the dead, the touch of the dead before you can raise the dead. He's saying here that if you want to fulfill the purpose of God in your life, there's going to be a season of discomfort in that. Verse 41 to 44. So they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bounding grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Good. He rose from the dead, hey? You know, I, um, I've heard Phil Camden speak about this passage and he, he, um, he says, Lazarus still died. As great as it is that he was risen from the dead, there still came a day where he did die. And it doesn't matter who, who you are, what your story is, that's the truth for all of us. It says that um, in, I think, 1 Corinthians 15, because of Adam... We're born men that all men will die. But because of Jesus, all men can have life. And in that scripture that we, Lozzie, just preached from 
John 11 verse 25 says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? So the same question that Jesus had for Martha that day is the question that I have for you now as we finish this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe that by believing in Jesus Christ, by being a follower, believer of Jesus, you can have eternal life? That is that when you die, you will rise again because of the faith and the hope that you have in Jesus. Not a physical rising from the dead like we see here with, with Lazarus, but that does happen. But that death that all of us, that hope that all of us can have, that we can have a hope in eternal life. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you've never declared that you believe in Jesus, you've never invited Him into your heart to say, yeah, I am a believer. I want that hope of eternal glory that when I die, I know that my hope is secure because I will be in heaven with Jesus. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second to invite Jesus into your heart so that you can walk out of here this morning knowing where your eternity is. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we do know that at some stage our life will finish. But we can know where we spend eternity. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in this room this morning. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to know that you know that you know that your eternity will be spent with Jesus in heaven, then I want you to simply to raise your hand saying, yeah, that's me. I want to get to know who this Jesus is. I want to invite him into my heart. I want to declare this morning that I believe in him, that my hope is in him, and that my life is secure in him because of what he did for me. I'll give you that moment now to raise your hand.